0: Now. Have a great week, guys. Amen. 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 Wow. I often think that it's just, we just ought to have response time at this moment. So let's turn to the scripture and see what the Lord wants to say further to us today because we've already heard a considerable amount of what it is that the Lord appears to be directing us towards. We're going to read from Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. It's quite a long passage, so um, just get into the, the rhythm of these scriptures as we read them together. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, "'The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation.'" Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there it is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them, for the Son of Man in in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was within the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you. On that night, two people will be in bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. So here, Jesus is speaking to us about the kingdom of God, about the kingdom of in all of its majesty, in all of its scope and expanse. And like all prophecy, both in the Old Testament or the New Testament, we have a perspective that is unique in all of literature. What we have is the prophet on this occasion, the prophet who was promised by Moses Many, many, many years before, one like me will be raised up among you, and he will be like me, the prophet. On this occasion, the prophet is looking to the future. And as he looks to the future, he sees the horizon laid out before him. And all of the objects on the horizon are very clear to the prophet. When Isaiah was looking from ancient days towards the coming of the Messiah, he saw the coming of the baby and the death of the suffering servant and the return of the majestic Messiah, all the same person, all on the same horizon, no differentiation between those events. When you look to the horizon, you can't tell the distance between the objects on the horizon. I don't know how many times it is that I've been hiking, walking in the fells and hills of England, and thinking that that next rise is the last rise that I'm going to have to go up because that's the summit. And what you discover, of course, is that it's not even close to where the summit is because the distance between the objects on the horizon is just impossible to discern. It's true of all prophecy in Scripture. Jesus here says, The days of the coming of the Son of Man will be like lightning that flashes from one side of the sky to the other, but first he must be rejected and suffer at the hands of men. And you're thinking, wait, are they all supposed to happen at the same time? No, but from the perspective of the prophet, standing on the precipice of revelation, Looking toward the future, the prophet is not called to discern the distance between the events that she or he sees. And so it is that Jesus, on this occasion and on every occasion, makes it unequivocally clear that speculation about the future is ruled out for all of his followers, The very last words of Jesus, when he sends out his disciples to go and take his message and his mission to the world, they accompany things like, now make sure you wait in Jerusalem to be clothed with power from on high. And then on a couple of occasions, right there in the very last little conversation he has with them, he says this, oh, and by the way, stop speculating about the future It's not for you to know. It's only the Father. It's not for the people on the internet to know. They don't know. Nobody knows. If Jesus doesn't know, they don't know. Only the Father knows. So that whole side of our engagement in the kingdom, which is both inaugurated now and consummated in the future, that whole area of conversation needs to be put on one side. It's kind of interesting sometimes to speculate, but let's remember, it's speculation. It's definitely not revelation. The second thing to say is that there are a few things in this passage that are the kinds of things that cause people to pause and go, hmm, I wonder what that all means. One of them is the little phrase there at the very end, which has this kind of, it feels like it ought to have its own soundtrack. You know, it's right there at the very end, and you know, you're reading through, and the disciples understandably say, well, you know, where is all this going to happen? And Jesus says, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Dun, dun, dun. You're thinking, wow, that's awesome. What does that mean? And of course, you know, we've been racked with millions of words poured over that particular subject. Perhaps the best way to understand it is that Jesus is using a word there which can be used to describe any soaring bird, any soaring bird. So it could be a vulture or an eagle. And so this clever play on words is perhaps being used by Jesus to give them some clues as to what will happen in the big picture and in the small picture, When Jerusalem was about to die as a city, the eagles gathered as the legions of Rome came to destroy and take captive. Every legion carried an eagle. And it may well be that in the early church, they they saw this as an immediate prophecy of the of the conquering armies gathering around the city before it died. But metaphorically, it's always true. It's always true that wherever death is found, the symbol of death is that those who live on death will be there. The enemy imaged in the picture of a vulture feeding on death will always be evident, and so... Be aware, be open-hearted, open-eyed. Be always alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around. Where he is bringing death, you'll be able to identify it by the fact that his servants gather around what it is that he's doing. But I'm not going to speak about any of that today. It's kind of fun, but I'm not going to talk about any of it. What I want to remind you is that you have that card with the five capitals in there and I'd like you to think about that as you've been worshipping and as you listen now to this, this word shared. I want you to be thinking about what's your response to what it is that God is saying because what Jesus is articulating here is something that's true of us now. We're in the midst of really a a a once-in-a-lifetime, maybe once-in-a-century, maybe once-in-a-millennium event. Our world, like the world of Jesus, is being shaken to its core. And if there's anybody in the room or anybody out online who doubts that, the only thing I can think is, that you've been watching way too much Netflix and you've got no idea actually what's happening right now. This is an amazing time to be alive. It's a troubling time. As the family ministry team kind of shared with us, so often children will say what it is that's in their heart. My grandson said to his mother just the other day, he said, "'Do you think, mummy, I've got anger issues?' She's thinking, you're seven years old. What are you talking about? He probably saw it on the television somewhere. And she said, no, darling, I don't think you do. And he said, well, I feel angry a lot. And she said, well, you've been stuck in this house for three months. That's in England. They're not allowed out at all. The world that we're in right now is a world that is going through a radical upheaval. And when anything goes through that kind of upheaval, the thing that you're most aware of is this. The fault lines that were hidden up until the event of the earthquake are now exposed. The fault lines in our society are now exposed. The calls for social justice, the calls for reformation in our criminal justice code... Entirely appropriate, because why? Because the fault line of race and the relationships between the races is being exposed at this moment. I come from a nation where the big issue is class. We've come to another nation and become members of this nation grateful citizens of this nation, where the great issue is race. Now, most days, we never notice it. Most days, we never think about it. But when the earthquake comes, the fault line is exposed. And so nationally, the fault line is being revealed to us so that we have an opportunity to do something. And what might that be? Jesus says, the kingdom is among you. The writer to the Hebrews says this, everything is being shaken so that what is unshakable is revealed. That's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26 and following. Everything is being shaken so that what is unshakable is revealed. Now, you may feel uncomfortable because of your background, your education, your perspective, your politics, with me saying things like, the fault line of race is being exposed in our nation. I totally get that. But if we doubt that that's what's happening, then we need to step back and say, so why is all of this happening? In the end, the answer will always be this. Everything that can be shaken is being shaken so that what is unshakable can be revealed. Where is the place where we find racial unity? Where is the place that we find national peace Where is the place that we find community security? Where's the place that we find salvation from our temporal and spiritual troubles? It's only the kingdom. There is no other place. Funnily enough, I'm not going to speak about that today either. Because there is a personal application. During this earthquake that all of us are in, there is a personal application. The fault lines, not simply in our community, not simply in our city or our nation are being exposed. The fault lines in us are being revealed. Where are the places that every ordinary day are never exposed. But in this time of crisis, in this time of stress, in this time of trouble, we find them moving within us, causing us to feel afraid, causing us to feel frail, causing us to feel weak, causing us to feel incapable. And when you look at this passage... The fault lines that are emerging in the audience of Jesus are the fault lines of frustration and fear. Jesus addresses the frustration in the question of the Pharisees. It's a question that they're articulating on behalf of themselves and on behalf of everybody that really has been listening to Jesus from the beginning. When is it going to happen? When are you going to get this thing going? When are we going to kick out the Romans? When are we going to see the thing that we've been longing for forever? And Jesus, as he does on other occasions, appears to amp up the frustration by saying, well, it's interesting you should say that because it's a lot worse than you think. Because people are going to say, here it is, or there it is, and it won't be there. And you must, I mean, the crowd must be just furrows in their brows, looking at Jesus, thinking, and you're supposed to be our teacher? What are you doing? Why, why is this the way that you're leading us? Why are you making it worse? And to the people who are afraid, he says, well, I guess you are afraid, but how about this? You'll be sleeping one night, and you'll wake up, and your spouse won't have gone to the bathroom. They'll have gone to heaven, and they're not coming back. Excuse me? Fear kind of topples over into terror when you start thinking about that. Two women will be grinding corn, grain together and one will be taken, one will be left behind. What? Are you you trying to comfort me right now? Because... So frustration and fear are the fault lines that are being exposed in the audience that Jesus is addressing then and the audience that he's addressing now, you and I. And honestly, all of us have got both fault lines, but all of us have one that's more prominent than the other. Me? It's frustration. You? I don't know. It's up to you. I don't know. Is it fault line of frustration or fault line of fear? How are you responding to all the COVID-19 stuff? Are you frustrated with the face masks? Or are you fearful when you meet people who are not wearing them? See what I mean? All of us. All of us have a fault line that's being exposed right now. Frustration or fear. Fear. It's an interesting thing that all of these realities that are within us have both a positive and a negative application. If you think of frustration, for instance, ever since people have been studying the nature of human creativity, they've noted that frustration is the cause of human creativity that you make a breakthrough in some solution that you're looking for, whether it be artistic or scientific, because of the frustration that you feel. Since modern science, people have been fascinated by by the, the very nature of human creativity, and they've looked at it, and people like Sigmund Freud spent years trying to understand it and basically came up with the answer that it's basically frustration that causes it. Others, down through the years, have made a life study of it. Arthur Kerstler, in the famous book, The Act of Creation, called it bisociation. He said, said, there are these two things in your life, and you're trying to resolve these two things in your life, and it's in the moment that they come together, and he says, and they bisociate, that you get a moment of creativity. He was a Jewish man. He said, I see it a lot in Jewish humor. He said, Jewish humor is humor like all other humor, but it's very clear that you're bringing together two things, and when you bring them together, it makes you laugh. And then in in the book, he says, like the old story of the two ladies in the laundromat. And they're talking about their children, and one says, how's Joe doing? And she says, well, the psychiatrist says, he has an Oedipus complex. And the other one says, Oh, don't worry. As long as he loves his mother and he's a good boy, that's okay. I thought it was funny. <laughs> There's two realities brought together. And as they're brought together, they stretch you internally and create the place of creativity. So frustration is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. But. When frustration becomes an obsession, when frustration becomes the controlling attitude of your life, when frustration defines your behavior towards other people, then there's a problem. In that moment, you're chasing the light like the cat that you see on the video. Fear. You think, well, fear can only be a bad thing. No, fear can be positive as well because fear, understood in a moderate expression, is simply caution. You will teach children to be cautious around roads. You'll teach children to be cautious around hot things. You'll teach children to be cautious in certain circumstances in relation to particular people who may be dangerous or or whatever it is. You're not going to engender in them a lifetime of fear, but you're building in them an understanding of a wise attitude towards the world. And so fear, understood from the point of view of caution, is a good thing. But when it becomes the obsession, when it becomes the focus, and it overwhelms you to the point where, you meet somebody and you can't connect with them because you're afraid of them, even though you know nothing about them, then fear is a problem. A little bit like the cat following the laser beam. Let's have a look. Oh, there it goes again. Oh, there oh, oh there it goes again. Huh? no, 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 where oh there it goes again. Do you ever feel like this? <laughs> you ever feel like you get home, you're thinking, man alive, I don't know whether I can cope with this much longer. <laughs> <Let's try it. laughs> what are you watching right now? Are you watching me or are you watching that little red light? (sighs) The enemy of our life knows how we're constructed and so does the creator and the redeemer of our life. And there is a solution that our creator offers that is entirely different from the solution that our enemy offers. Our enemy wants us to be driven by frustration and fear. Our Creator, Redeemer, and Lord wants something else for us. To these people that were asking him the question about the kingdom, Jesus gives a very similar answer to the disciples who in chapter 12 were riddled with fear of the leaders and the religious elite around them to these people Jesus says the kingdom is among you to the disciples when they were racked with fear he says fear not little flock your father is pleased to give you the kingdom So how is this a solution? Well, let's pause for a while and allow the Lord to speak deeply into our hearts, whether you are among the frustrated or the fearful today, whether you're here in the building or there online. Jesus is simply saying that his presence His presence as the king is enough to satisfy all the frustrations and all the fears. Why is that? Because when the king is present, all of the capacity of the king is also present. The word kingdom in the Bible is never separated from the presence of the king. Wherever the king is present, that's where the kingdom is. The kingdom is not a territory. The kingdom is a person in the Bible. And if the king is present, then everything changes. So you're frustrated? Well, what are you frustrated about? Well, you're frustrated about certain circumstances, certain people, certain situations. The king is present. And in his hands, he has every provision that you need. The king is present and he has all that you could long for and desire. The king is present and in his presence there is freedom from frustration. And as we surrender to the king, we discover that surrender is better than striving. Turn to your neighbor and say, surrender is better than striving. Striving, driving, obsessively running after the thing about which you are frustrated will not ever satisfy or settle your heart. Of course, the Lord will prompt you toward creativity. But in the midst of that, he wants to remind you that you're in the presence of the creator. So surrender to him and find the solution. Surrender is better than striving. To the fearful, the king is present. The king And all of his kingdom capacity is available to you. And if the king is present, he's not only our provider, but he's our protector. There is nothing that you can face that is bigger than him. There's nothing that you can encounter that is beyond his scope to transform and change. And you may say, but I don't know what he's going to do. You see, that's the point. The point is simply this, that when we get to, we get to that, that place of recognizing that we're in the presence of the king, then we get to the place of realizing that that's enough for us. The fact that he protects us, that he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, it becomes enough. Because salvation is better than survival. You see, at the very heart of the fear mechanisms in our our lives is the need to survive. And the Lord says, if you try to preserve your own life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll preserve it. In other words, he's saying this, if when you come into my presence and you recognize I'm the king who protects you, and you give up your life to that reality, that truth, then you will receive all that God in his goodness and mercy, his grace and forbearance longs to give you. And that is much better than anything that you can contrive by your worry or anxiety. salvation is found nowhere else and it's much better than survival turn to your neighbor and say salvation's better than survival anybody ready to get saved so here we are in the midst of an earthquake so great that your grandchildren, young people, your grandchildren will say to you one day, did you live in 2020? And you'll say, well, (laughs) funny you should mention that. Because people will look back on these days and say, how did people live through them? How did you do that? And your answer, I pray, will be something like this. Because we found the king in the midst of the earthquake. Because everything that was shakable was shaken. And what is unshakable was revealed. And in the midst of the kingdom, there was the king, and he was all that we needed. The king was all that we longed for. The king had all the provision that we required. The king had all of the protection that we longed for, and so we no longer needed to obsess in our frustration and fear, because now we knew that we were in the presence of the king. Does it stir your heart like it stirs mine? Jesus says this. There is a day, it's coming soon, when the Spirit will not be with you, but within you. And on that day of Pentecost, when the church was born, all believers from that moment forward were defined by the fact that God himself came to live within them. Jesus goes on to say in other places, as well as the presence of the Lord within you, in every place that you go, when you gather in my name with two or three, there am I in the midst of you. And so I'm within you and I'm without you. I'm all around you, and I'm the king. And because I'm the king, everything changes. Amen? Bless you. It's good to have you back, little one. So let's just do this as we pray. I'm going to pray for the frustrated first, and you can stand with me. I know we're all a mixture of everything, but you know who I'm talking about. And then I'm going to pray for the fearful. And if by now you're resolved in all of those things, then that's fine. Then don't stand with the other people. Just pray for them, please, with me. But as we pray now, let's just take hold of that which God has taken hold of us for. Let's pray. And if you're among the frustrated Today, Then stand with me as I pray for you and for myself. Lord, we want to identify with the frustrated people that you met. The people who longed for a change and became, Lord, over-focused on the frustrations that they felt. Lord, today we choose to surrender to you, the King. We give you our frustrations in the sure and certain knowledge that you love us and that you're taking care of these things right now. And if you're fearful, stand with me. And Lord, for those disciples who followed you then and who follow you now, who feel the fear of these days, who have perhaps watched too many news programs, read too many internet blogs. Lord, we, we recognize that we are afraid. But we know, Lord, that you say that in your presence... There is freedom. And we know, Lord, that your word says that perfect love casts out fear. And so, King Jesus, as we come to you now, recognizing that you can provide for all things and that you can protect us from all of our enemies, Lord, we receive the blessing of your presence. And we receive your freedom. And we receive, Lord, your love. And all God's people say,